MacCast, Sunday, April 10th, 2022. This episode of MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of Mac News, hints, tips, rumors, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. Hopefully you are having a great wonderful day, weekend, whatever it might be. I have moved in officially to the new studio here in South Dakota. Uh, Still tweaking things a little bit. We probably have a little bit more adjustment to do, but hey, we're in and it's hopefully working. At least I'm talking to you and uh, I got my gear unpacked and on the old microphone and setup and everything is going well. Looking over the news for today, we have quite a few things to get into. We're going to talk about iPhone orders and what's going on there. We talked a little bit last time. Worldwide Developer Conference is on the way and we officially know now uh, when that is going to be. So we'll get into that. We've got some iPod Pro updates or AirPod Pro updates, rather. And um, then we will also talk about some Apple TV Plus news. That always seems to be going on. And also iPhone 14 updates on the way. And a little bit of news for iPads, maybe in the future. Actually, just something I want to talk about in general as it comes to rumors and such. And then we're going to get into some of your feedback. We do have a number of kind of display questions this week, along with some Mac Studio stuff and also a question about photos and the photo library, specifically photo editing. So we'll get into all of that. Should be a great episode. I say we just dive right into the news. So Apple has been cutting back iPhone orders, or at least that's the rumor. We already spoke last time about Ming-Chi Kuo saying that Apple cut iPhone SE orders by up to 10 million units, citing lower-than-expected demand. Well, this week, there are more signs that iPhone sales might be slowing due to supply chain and general concern among consumers about just the state of the world and what's really going on. According to Seeking Alpha analyst John Donovan from Loop Capital said in a research note that Apple had lowered projected iPhone build numbers for 2022 down another 9 million units to 254 million units. Now, the average U.S. consumer's iPhone right now is about 2.3 years old, and it's possible that with inflation looming and many other uncertainties in the world that more consumers are just choosing to go longer between upgrades, and that's affecting overall iPhone sales. So it would make sense to some degree that, hey, Apple is just selling less iPhones. The iPhone SE Apple thought was going to be a hugely popular model. It just hasn't really taken off the way they, they want. And hey, supply chain is slowing down. Apple's saying, hey, let's hold off on some of those orders. Let's wait to see how things pan out. But still, a report from DigiTimes this week came out and directly contradicted these rumors. That site claims that their checks of the supply chain show no signs that companies have been told by Apple to cut back on orders of the iPhone SE. We'd also heard that they were cutting back on AirPods orders. They're saying that's not happening either. So we have a dilemma. Do we believe analysts like Ming-Chi Kuo? Do we believe a source like the DigiTimes? 
who really knows what's going on? Probably only Apple, and uh, they're not going to be saying anything, as we know. So, you know, take out all of this stuff with a grain of salt. We talk about that a lot here in the community, that these are all just rumors and speculation. They're coming from different sources. Supply chain can mean things. It cannot mean things. It can be misread. So we never really know what's going on. But overall, Apple is doing well. And as a matter of fact, the reports also say that Apple's services could help and are actually being helpful in their overall numbers. As we know, Apple's been growing their services business and it's kind of filling in some of the gaps for the iPhone. And I believe, and I think we talked about this way back when, when it was going on, that that was really Apple's original plan. So it's not surprising that that is happening. Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, and iCloud are helping keep consumers on the Apple platform. So even if it's taking longer between upgrades, people aren't moving away to Android because they're invested in the Apple ecosystem, and services are a big part of that. There are signs that Apple Music, iCloud, Apple Arcade, and Apple Fitness are all growing, although the reports do note that Apple News and Apple TV Plus subscriptions seem to be flat. I was a little bit surprised to hear that on the Apple TV Plus subscriptions because lately Apple's been getting a lot of great buzz for their TV service. We have the new MLB announcement, a lot of great awards and accolades. Apple just won the Oscar for best picture for coda uh so you know all these things are good positive things for apple tv plus i've been hearing great things about the tv show severance and i probably need to start watching that i'd love to know from those of you in the community if you've been watching that series um love adam k so i'm hoping to get to that sometime soon here and uh, get into that but that sounds like it's wonderful but overall sounding like apple tv plus is uh at least according to reports not growing massively but some of the other services are. So that's keeping people on iPhones. So I'm not going to worry too much about Apple and iPhone orders. You know, they have a handle on their supply chain and they, I would assume, know what they're doing. And so far, the numbers haven't been terrible. So even if the analysts are a little bit confused, I think uh, we can keep our heads straight here. Apple did announce the dates for Worldwide Developer Conference 2022. They're going to hold another semi-virtual Worldwide Developer Conference event. It's going to start Monday, June 6th and run through Friday, June 10th. The event will be free online and available to all developers to attend. And I say almost virtual because Apple did announce that on June 6th, they are going to host developers and students at Apple Park to watch the keynote and the State of the Union videos together. So I'm assuming those are going to be the pre-produced kind of videos we've seen, but they are going to allow developers and students and everybody to get together at Apple Park, which is pretty cool, to attend the event or attend the video watching in person. Now, they do say that space will be limited and details on how to apply to attend the actual in-person event will be provided on Apple's developer website. As far as what we could hear about at Worldwide Developer Conference, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman has a lot of speculation this week. He says, for iOS 16, there won't be any kind of major redesign, but Apple could showcase some significant improvements to notifications and add new health tracking features to devices like the Apple Watch. He also said there might be a new iPadOS multitasking interface. Remember, we just discussed rumors of Apple bringing some sort of windowing to iPadOS. So 
doesn't specifically say that that's what Apple's bringing, but it will be nice to see them doing a little refresh and a little rethink on iPad OS multitasking. When I asked you in the community if that was something that you were looking forward to, many of you said you wanted something that was a little more robust than what Apple has currently put together. Apple is unlikely to talk about their ARVR headset at the event, but German does claim that iOS 16 will be, quote, chock full of references to the headset and its interactions with the iPhone. So we might start to get some clues as to what Apple is going to be doing in the AR VR space with their headset. That information also led German to speculate that Apple plans to release the headset sometime between the release of iOS 16 in June and the fall of 2023 when Apple would release iOS 17. So probably going to come out before iOS 17, which means within the next year, at least that first version of it. Finally, German also does tease that Apple has several new Macs in the works, including updated versions of the MacBook Air the MacBook Mini, or the Mac Mini, rather. There is no MacBook Mini yet. The 24-inch iMac and the 13-inch MacBook Pro. All of these are likely to feature a new Apple M2 version of Apple Silicon, uh, though he does mention that the also-teased update of the Mac Pro and maybe an iMac Pro update are also in development. All of this seemingly hinting that Apple could announce one of these at Worldwide Developer Conference. He seems to be leaning toward the MacBook Air as being a possible good one to announce at the conference, but he does stop short, really, of actually saying it. And I have to feel like there is a good reason for that, and that is Apple almost never announces new hardware at Worldwide Developer Conference, and they are even less likely, in my mind, to announce consumer-level hardware. I would think they would reserve it for something like the Mac Pro, but the Mac Pro, I don't think, is ready to go. I think we got the Apple Studio, and that is their current thing, and I don't think they're going to want to detract from that hardware. So even if there are some new consumer-level products in the works, and we are expecting a couple in the next few months, I think Apple's going to hold off on that and probably have a separate event for those products. But we're going to have to wait and see. Worldwide Developer Conference tends to be about the developers. It tends to be about software, iOS, macOS, and I'm sure we'll be getting lots of news and information on those updates as June rolls around. And of course, we'll be talking about those here on uh, future episodes of the MacCast. So stay tuned. New AirPods Pro are looking like they're going to show up sometime here in 2022, at least if we want to believe analyst Ming-Chi Kuo. He says that they'll be here in the second half of 2022. Kuo mentioned that even though Apple recently updated the AirPods, demand for the third generation of AirPods is, quote, significantly weaker than expected. That rolls into his rumors that Apple you know, cut back on orders of AirPods. Uh, He says it's possibly because Apple does continue to sell the older version of the AirPods at a reduced price. So the second gen version, they're like 129 US versus 179 for the new version. And there just isn't enough features in the third generation to really drive sales. And I would tend to agree with that assessment. I think uh, Quo might be spot on there. He reiterated that the low demand is what forced Apple to cut back on those orders up to 30% for the second and third quarter of 2022. He also does not expect Apple to keep the original AirPods Pro around at a reduced price when they launch these new ones. 
uh, to avoid the same situation that they had with these AirPods. Uh, this time around, Quo didn't specifically comment on what new features might be coming to AirPods Pro, but he did previously mention that Apple would significantly update the wireless chip and bring support for the Apple Music lossless audio format. And those improvements with that chip would also potentially bring uh, adjustments and improvements maybe to noise cancellation, improved battery life. And he also said that Apple would add a speaker to the charging case so that it could be used with Find My. Other possibilities for updates in new versions of AirPods Pro could be smaller stems or no stems at all, and maybe some new sensors to integrate with Apple Fitness. So these are all things we've been hearing about from various analysts and uh, could make it make their way into the next version of the product. As far as when in 2022, didn't get into any specifics, but I would imagine it would happen sometime probably this fall. And then meanwhile, if you're in India, any Apple AirPods from the standard version all the way up through the AirPods Max are now going to cost you about 10% more. That's because Apple raised prices this week after the government increased import duties on headphones, loudspeakers, and smart meters. And then finally, in, I guess, headphone news is what we're talking about, YouTuber John Prosser Prosser says that Apple will release new colors of their Beats Studio Buds. Uh, They're currently available in red, white, and black. He says Apple will be bringing a moon gray, ocean blue, and sunset pink sometime soon. And actually, I have a question for the community about the Beats Studio Buds, because they're priced at $150, and they have a lot of the features of the AirPods Pro. And I'm having some issues with my AirPods Pro. Uh, basically, the microphones are going in and out all of a sudden. I don't know why. I'm going to do some troubleshooting. But I was thinking about being in the market for a new AirPods Pro, and I either will wait for the new version to come out, or I'm looking at the Studio Buds, and about the only thing that they are missing that the AirPods Pro offers is the H1 chip, which of course is nice for the pairing and those sorts of things, but all of the other things like spatial audio and and uh, noise cancellation and the great mics and the fit and all that stuff are there. And again, they're $150 US versus what, $250? So quite a bit cheaper. So I'm curious, has anybody tried both the AirPods Pro, the current version, and the Beats Studio Buds? And what do you think? Is the sort of magical pairing experience worth the extra cost? In my mind, I feel like maybe, but it might be a hard justification. So I'm curious to know what the community thinks. Shoot me some feedback. Send me an email, maccast at gmail.com. Moving to Apple TV Plus news, one of the things that I feel is common among a lot of the announcements around shows and films that come to Apple TV Plus are the big names, and this week we have one of the biggest. We already mentioned the new comedy series in the past coming to Apple TV Plus called Shrinking. It stars Jason Siegel and is being written by Bill Lawrence and Siegel together. Bill Lawrence is also responsible for writing the hit Ted Lasso, by the way. Now it looks like Harrison Ford is on board to join the cast, according to Variety. And it will be the first time that Ford has ever had a recurring role on a TV series. He's going to play the character Dr. Phil Rhodes, a specialist in, a specialist in cognitive behavioral therapy. 
There were also another couple actors added to the cast this week alongside Ford. Jessica Williams, who was in Fantastic Beasts, The Secret of Dumbledore, and Krista Miller, who's known for Head of the Class, the current version that's on HBO Max. Variety is also reporting that Jason Momoa will start his second project for Apple TV, Apple TV Plus, after C. He will write, executive produce, and star in a new series called Chief of War. The series follows the story of the unification and colonization of Hawaii from an, an indigenous point of view. It will be the first time Momoa will have ever written for television. Apple has also given the order for a new conspiracy-based psychological thriller drama called Constellation. It will star Numi Rapace, known for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and Jonathan Banks, who you might know from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. The series is created and written by Peter Harness, who previously worked on Doctor Who. And then another star from Marvel's MCU will also be getting a new series on Apple TV+. Tom Hiddleston, who's known for his role as Thor's mischievous brother Loki, is signed up to star in a new series called The White Darkness. This one's going to be based on a non-fiction book of the same name by David Gran, and it follows the career and adventures of British explorer Henry Worsley. Worsley led an expedition to trek across Antarctica in 2008, going through the Trans-Antarctic Mountains, which had never been done before. He also did additional expeditions in Antarctica in 2011 and 2015. Now, this isn't the first thing that Hiddleston will star in for Apple TV+. He's also in the series The Essex Serpent, which will debut on Apple TV Plus in May. The White Darkness is be- being developed by So Hugh, who also worked on the Apple TV series Pachinko, which is another new one that is getting a lot of really big buzz. Another one I haven't checked out yet, uh, but if you think it's great and you think I should watch it, let me know. And then finally, in Apple TV Plus news, Apple also announced a new six-episode series that follows the life of Black Panther leader Huey P. Newton as he was being hunted by the FBI and later fled to Cuba. The show is called The Big Cigar and will be written by Jim Hetched. And uh, with that, that's kind of all the latest in Apple TV Plus news. We seem to be getting a lot of that. So Apple really ramping up the shows this year. I think we talked about that. It had been or has been reported to be creating a little bit of a strife within uh, the Apple TV Plus staff and employees. They're feeling a little bit overworked. And when you see this kind of lineup, uh, you have to you know, realize why. But I'm looking forward to all these great shows and artists and stars coming to series on Apple TV Plus. How about you? Looks like the iPhone 14 Pro will be better by about 20%. And actually, this is a little bit of a play on words based on a couple of iPhone 14 Pro rumors that surfaced this week. The first one is related to the wide-angle camera, which has been expected for a while to be increased to 48 megapixels. This week, supposed specs showed up on the Chinese social media site Weibo. According to the rumored specs, the pixels in the new sensor will be smaller to kind of cram them in and still not take up as much space. But 
They could only get so small, so the sensor will actually be a little bit larger. The overall area of the sensor will be increased by 57%, but the overall width by 21%. So there's that 20%. More pixels does mean sharper and more detailed images, but having more pixels in a sensor that are smaller will also potentially affect low light performance. To get around that, Apple is expected to use a technique called pixel binning that will gather four adjacent pixels together to create a single image pixel in low light, effectively producing a 12 megapixel image that could actually be brighter and clearer than the 12 megapixel image that's currently available in the iPhone 13 Pro cameras. So, Everything should actually get a little bit better, even though they're going to that higher megapixel count and it could affect low light, thanks to a little bit of creative engineering and also Apple's computational photography. And then some new reported CAD renders of the iPhone 14 Pro designs showed up on Twitter this week through an account called Shrimp Apple Pro, and it shows a design with 20% smaller bezels. That CAD also shows the pill plus punch hole through display design that we've been hearing about and the thing that is supposedly going to replace the notch for the true depth camera system. And then another interesting thing happened with iPhone this week or really potentially iOS and iOS devices. Apple may have accidentally announced an unannounced 35-watt dual USB-C power port adapter. 9to5Mac caught a glimpse of this on Apple's support website, and it references this non-existent device that has been since pulled from Apple's website. It gave instructions that you could connect a USB-C cable to either port on the power adapter. And as we know, Apple only has single ports on their current USB-C power adapters. So this would allow you to potentially charge up to two devices from a single adapter, say an iPhone 13 Pro, which fast charges at 27 watts. And then that would leave another five watts free, actually a little bit more than that, to say charge your Apple Watch at the same time. So Cool new product, potentially. Ming-Chi Kuo says that the charger is nearing production right now and should be out in 2022. Of course, he stopped short of giving us an actual time frame. So, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of third-party USB-C chargers out there, a lot of great options from places like uh, Anchor. So, I don't know. How do you feel? Do you feel like Apple needs to get into this market and have a dual-port charger, or are we served by the third parties. I am a big fan of the Anchor products, and that's really mostly what I use. Their adapters tend to be smaller than Apple's, a little more convenient, and have more features at a lower price. But I guess some people are all in on Apple, uh, and you know this could fill that need. And then finally, in the news for this week, we're hearing that Apple could have OLED iPads in two years, in 2024. And this isn't a new rumor. It's something we've been hearing about for a while. Honestly, I considered not even talking about it this week because seriously, to speculate on what Apple will release in two years from now seems a little bit, just a little bit premature, don't you think? So actually, let's discuss this, and this is why I'm even talking about it. Let's discuss it from the perspective of why it makes no sense 
to actually discuss it. The rumor is that BOE technology in China is preparing to make future iPad and MacBook OLED panels for Apple. This is according to the site The Elec. The good part of the rumor is that it seems like Apple is lining up new OLED suppliers outside of Samsung and LG at a new facility that would be ready by the end of 2024. The new line is, I guess, an, a what they call a Gen 8.5 production line versus the six Gen lines that Apple is using now with Samsung and LG. And the advantage is that an 8.5 Gen production or a Gen 8.5 line can yield more OLED panels per substrate. Now, Samsung and LG are also transitioning to 8.5 Gen lines, so they're all going to be on equal footing. Again, it's a ways off. So here's why I think it's crazy to speculate on this two years before it happens. As we all know, Apple changes their minds and changes directions of their tech all the time. Even if they're looking at OLED panels for iPads and MacBook Pros right now, and they're projecting that they'll have them ready in 2024. We also know that they're also looking at other technologies as well. We've talked about, say, micro OLED, which could supersede or supplant OLED at some point, and we don't know when that's going to happen. So a year from now, heck, even three months from now, this rumor could be actually dead in the water. So I don't know why we're talking about it other than sometimes we just feel like we need things to talk about in the community, I guess. So the only real news here is that Apple is looking to expand OLED suppliers and they're lining up their future supply chain so that if they decide to use OLED panels in iPads and MacBook Pros in 2024, they're going to be prepared. That's great. Apple thinks ahead. They're always thinking ahead. I don't think this is really news, but hey, we had it in the news this week. So There, we talked about it a little bit. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple show sponsors, starting with ZocDoc. You know, finding and booking a doctor who's right for you doesn't need to be a terrible experience. Will they take your insurance, understand your needs, or be available when you can see them? With ZocDoc, the answer can be a refreshingly pain-free yes. And I have to say, it's that last scenario that gets me often frustrated. And it's when I get sick, I need to see a doctor, and I don't get sick that often. So it's really frustrating when I go online, I go to my provider's website, or I call them up and I ask to see my doctor, and they tell me it's going to be weeks. That's when I can turn to ZocDoc and find a doctor who will take my insurance and be available to see me tomorrow, not days from now. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and available when you need them. You can read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real human beings are saying about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and whether you want to see a doctor in person or do a video visit... And just like that, you're booked. Find the doctor that's right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find or book a doctor. In the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that's surprisingly pain-free. 
Go to ZocDoc.com slash MacGast and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MacGast. ZocDoc.com slash MacGast. And a big thank you to ZocDoc for their support of the show. I'd also like to thank Hunter Douglas. You know, who doesn't love to live well, to be perfectly at ease in comfort and in style? Hunter Douglas can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced that they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Perhaps it's the way shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow in the room or being able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. Or maybe it's the superior insulation that shades provide, keeping you warmer in winter, cooler in summer, and lowering your utility bills. Or it's simply that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything about it looks and feels just right. And when you tap into Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, your shades can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation, morning, noon, and night. And what's great about Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology is it's HomeKit compatible. That means it can easily integrate with the Home app and your iOS devices, your Macs, your HomePods, and then you can do things like build automations to fully control your Hunter Douglas window shades. And that, to me, is incredibly cool. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash MacCast today to get your free Style Gets Smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. That's HunterDouglas.com slash MacCast for your free design guide, and a big thank you to Hunter Douglas for their support of the show. And finally, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Simply Safe. You know, what do U.S. News, PC Magazine, and Popular Science have in common? They all ranked Simply Safe Home Security as the best home security of 2021. In fact, U.S. News just named Simply Safe the best home security of 2022 as well. And one of the latest things that makes Simply Safe the best for me is the fact that it's modular and self-installed. And that means my new home now has the same protection as my old home because I got to take my system with me. And I have to tell you, the teardown was as quick and easy as the install. And since my new home has more areas to cover, the adaptability of Simply Safe is also a huge benefit. Makes it the best because now I can order a new outdoor camera, new door and window sensors, easily expanding my system to fit my new home's needs. Simply Safe protects your whole home around the clock, every door, window, and room. And it's backed by the best 24-7 professional monitoring in the business, ready to, to dispatch police, firefighters, or EMTs to your home. With a comprehensive set of sensors and cameras, including the all-new wireless outdoor security camera, you always know what's going on inside and outside your home. Simply Safe is less than $1 a day, and you can set it up in around 30 minutes, and it's always simple to use. There's never a long-term contract. You can even try it for 60 days risk-free to see if you like it. If you don't, send it back free of charge. 
Simply Safe protects over a million homes in the United States alone. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just minutes at simplysafe.com slash matcast. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash matcast, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash matcast, and a big thank you to Simply Safe for their support of the show. Let's talk about display brightness for a little bit. Uh, Apple has a couple displays out now with mini LED backlighting and zones. Specifically, I'm talking about the Pro Display XDR, which has a peak brightness, according to Apple, of about 500 nits. And also Apple's new 16-inch and 14-inch MacBook Pros with the M1 and M1 Max, those have a max brightness of uh, 500 nits, or operating brightness of 500 nits, I guess is what I should say, because in reality, these displays are capable of achieving a much higher brightness, more than three times brighter in specific situations, thanks to that mini LED backlighting and the zones and all that fun sort of stuff. They actually can display HDR content at 1,000 nits or higher, and have a peak brightness of about 1,600 nits in some situations. Specifically, that brightness is typically saved for when you're watching HDR video or when you're using some metal-based applications. And something interesting came out this week, a little bit of software that I wanted to share with you in case you have one of those displays that allows you to achieve that full brightness when and where you want. Developers Jordi Bruin and Ben Haraway found a way to actually build a Mac utility app called Vivid, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com, that they say uses a combination of metal, carbon, cocoa, Swift, Swift UI, and even some C code. I have a feeling that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but maybe they're using all those technologies to achieve this. But they say that will allow their app to let you get the full brightness out of your display. Now, Infinite Loop, the website where I found out about this, notes that the app is not 100% perfect. They noticed that in jumping between spaces on the Mac, it can swap back and take a moment for the higher brightness to kick back in. They also noted that certain colors and certain video content can appear a little bit off. So it's maybe not a perfect thing and probably why Apple doesn't want you running at, you know, 1,000 to 1,600 nits full bore all the time. Uh, But why would you want to display that bright? I would guess the main reason would be to combat sunlight or glare. Uh, It's definitely not for color accuracy, because if you're into that, you actually want a lower peak brightness, somewhere around, I think, 150, 200 nits, somewhere in that space. Um, So, you know, there's that going on. I have to admit, when I heard about this, I had to wonder if you run your display at that maximum brightness, are you going to wear things out quicker or is it going to potentially cause any damage? The developers claim that the app is, quote, not likely to pose any risk to your hardware. They do note, though, it does have a small impact on performance. 
and that it will have a pretty serious impact on your battery life. And that's not surprising. If you're on a notebook and you're running it that bright, yeah, that's going to suck battery pretty, pretty quickly. But it's an interesting new utility, and uh, I thought it was pretty cool, so I wanted to bring it up and tell you about it in case you hadn't seen it yet. Uh, so if you do want a way brighter display and you have an M1 Pro or M1 Max MacBook Pro, or if you're lucky enough to have an Apple Pro Display XDR, you can pick up Vivid. It's just $16 US and it's a one-time purchase and they even have a try before you buy option. And there's even a kind of split screen mode where you can see the original brightness versus the adjusted brightness. So you can play around with it, see if it's something that you think uh, you can use. And again, I'll have links to it in the show notes at maccast.com. Dan emailed me and he said, hey, I just got back from a trip where I took a bunch of photos and videos. It sounded like it was a cycling trip because he mentioned putting the uh, the iPhone and, and GoPro that he was using in a mount. And he said, hey, I'm adding these images back into my photo library now that I'm back home. And the thing is, is that because I was using this mount it was actually a little bit crooked. Everything was shot at, at uh, off by about eight degrees. So I had to go into all my images and do an eight degree adjustment, which is pretty easy to do with the cropping tool in photos, right? You can go in there and you can just make the adjustment. I think you can also even batch that if you want. And he had a question related to that. He said, now that I have all these adjustments made, you know, photos has that feature where you can revert to original, which means that if you make an adjustment and you want to go back and undo it, you know, like his tilt adjustment, uh, you can do that quickly and easily. And he said, hey, that's great. If I want to ever get back to the originals, but because these are all crooked and I really want them straight and I've just straightened them, uh, I don't really need those originals anymore, do I? And aren't my edits and the originals just taking up a bunch of extra space? So can I get rid of those originals and just keep the edited versions? And the reality is, Dan, actually, the originals are taking up all the space, but those edited versions, they're not taking up that much space at all. And that's because the Photos app is pretty smart. When you actually go in and edit a photo, what it does is it stores the information, the metadata about the edits, along with generating a smaller JPEG preview that's used in the Photos app as you're browsing around. Um, but all the edits are actually applied in real time to the photo. So it's not like it's storing an extra copy of the edited version. So it's not taking up all that space. Uh, if you go in to actually export or share the image, then and only then will it take that metadata, the information from the database, and generate the edited photo, the edited version of the photo, for that export or to be sent off to be shared. And uh, at that time, it uses that lists of edits and stuff from the database, from the iPhotos database that are stored there uh, to make all of those adjustments. And this is kind of similar to how albums work too, right? Apple doesn't just create duplicates of photos and put them in other folders. You know, you create an album and everything else is just a reference to the original collection, but the photos aren't duplicated. They're not taking a, a bunch of extra space. So the more edits you do, it will use a little bit more space to kind of save that data into the photos database and a bit more for those JPEG preview images, but it's not really like you're taking up 
you know, duplicate amounts of space. You're not storing that big high res version of that photo over and over and over again every time you edit it. So as an example, I went in to kind of look at my photo library and my overall photo library is about 150 gigabytes, 150.86 gigabytes to be exact. Uh, the originals folder, when I go in and you can actually go into your photo library, even though it's a single library file, if you right click on it and you say show package contents, it's actually just a more or less a folder. I'm kind of simplifying it, but it's a little package and you can go in there and you can see all the original stuff. Now, don't mess around in there too much and I would advise having a backup first. You don't want to, you know, tweak anything in there, but you can go poke around. And so inside there, there's an originals folder and that stores all of your original images. And in my case, it's about 117.25 gigabytes. So out of that 150, most of those are the original files. And then there's a resources folder, which I read stores all of those preview JPEGs. In my case, that's about 28.1 gigabytes. And that left about 5.5 gigabytes of other random data, metadata, other files, and those sorts of things. So if I do the math and if I'm doing the math right, that means the edits and all the extra data are taking up roughly about 20% of my total photo library storage, which honestly, for everything that Photos does, not too bad. And so I don't think you need to worry about it too much. Again, it's not eating up a ton of storage. And I think the features and functionality you get of even being able to go back to the originals, even if you never do, is probably worth it. So I wouldn't stress about it too much. And there's a little kind of insight into how photos works. And I hope that helps kind of alleviate any stress you might have from uh, the storage. And sounds like a great trip. So I hope you got some really great shots there. And then finally, the last thing that I want to talk to you about uh, this week is via an email I received from Vince. And it's another kind of display question. It's a great one because Vince emailed me to talk about our ongoing conversation about Apple's new Apple Studio machine and the Apple Studio display. And we heard from a number of folks who were getting Mac minis and then bundling them with an Apple Studio display instead of an Apple Studio to save money because they don't really need that pro level desktop, but they're looking for a replacement in a lot of cases for their 27-inch iMac, and they do want that quality Apple 27-inch display. Vince has a little bit of a different situation because he currently has a 2013 Mac Pro that's aging and he wants to replace, and he's coupled that with an Apple 27-inch LED Cinema display. And so he was ready for a computer upgrade, but wasn't really interested in replacing the display. So he ordered up a new Apple Studio, but he loves that Apple 27-inch cinema display, still very, very happy with it. And he was hoping that he could use that with the new Mac Studio instead of an you know Apple Studio display, instead of, instead of spending the money there. And in doing his research and speaking with Apple support, they told him, hey, there's no way to connect an older cinema display to the Mac Studio. So he emailed me to ask, hey, is that true? And I have to tell you, Vince, emphatically, no, that is not true. And it often bothers me that Apple support will 
not be educated in some of the basics, right? Especially when it comes to older gear. And I don't know where this comes from. All I can think of is that they're kind of trained on the new stuff when they get hired and they don't really know much about the old stuff. And that's really unfortunate because sometimes folks like you get bad advice from them. So here's the deal. The Apple 27-inch LED cinema display that you have is the one with a single cable that kind of has three connectors coming off of it. It has a mini display port with audio, so that's for the video and audio signal. It has a MagSafe on it up to 85 watts, so that's so if you have a MagSafe Mac and the right kind of MagSafe, you could connect and get power through that. And then it also has USB 2.0 to drive the extra USB ports that are on the display. The Mac Studio has four Thunderbolt 4 ports, two USB-A ports on the back, and then an additional two USB-C or Thunderbolt 4 ports on the front, depending upon your model. If you go for the Ultra, you get the, the Thunderbolt 4 on the front. If you just stick with the M1 Max, you get the USB-C. There's also an HDMI port, which could be potential for display connectivity, but really in your case, you have mini DisplayPort supported on your Apple 27-inch cinema display. So really all you need to connect that to your new Mac Studio would be a simple USB-C to mini DisplayPort adapter, which you can find on Amazon or on Monoprice for around 20 to 30 bucks. So you just need a very simple adapter. I like the ones at Monoprice, but you know, there's a bunch of options out there whether you need pass-through power. Typically that would be if you were trying to hook up to a MacBook Pro, so you're probably not going to need that for your studio. But uh the key here is you just need to make sure that the adapter you get is USB-C to mini display port, not Thunderbolt. Now, if you happen to have Apple's 27-inch Thunderbolt display, you could get a mini uh, USB-C to Thunderbolt adapter um, or mini, yeah, to a Thunderbolt adapter. So that that would work as well uh, for that display. But in your case, you want mini display port adapter and it can only be a little bit confusing and I only point it out because the mini display port and Thunderbolt 3 share the same connector. So the connector looks exactly the same, but the technology is different. So mini display port for your display. If you have a Thunderbolt display, you'll need a Thunderbolt adapter. But really, it's just a simple adapter. And then for the USB 2.0 hub that's on your Apple 27-inch LED cinema display, all you have to do is connect that USB connector to the back of your Mac Studio in one of the USB-A ports. And should be good to go for that. So you have everything you need and it should be very simple. That's it. And I uh, hope that helps you out and uh, enjoy, continue to enjoy your Apple 27-inch LED cinema display and really enjoy that new Mac Studio. I'd love to hear um, anybody out there who has a new Mac Studio. How are you liking it? Do you want to give some feedback to the community? Uh, let us know, maccast at gmail.com. But with that... That is going to do it for this week's MacCast. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to 
maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IAM9. You can leave a voicemail there. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But that will do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Yeah.